0: The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and
1: Alex Wood.
2: Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is a newscast for episode 157 for the week of March uh, 23rd, 2020. Alex, what have you been doing in your social isolation? What, what do you mean, Rob? That Nothing's going on. It, <laughs> everything's normal. Everything's normal. Well, I know that uh, while we're trying to make things as normal as possible, and this is the new normal, I think we've both been working from home for the last
1: week, right? We have. Um, and that has been, I mean, it's fine for me. I worked at home for 10 years. No big deal. Um it it has been uh, I think less fine for some people that I know who are <laughs> who are not used to or have a harder time doing those sorts of things. And you're um, looking
2: you're literally looking right at me, and uh, you're figuratively looking <laughs> right at me. Yeah, it's been but, it's been a challenge for me getting used to working from the house, working from the basement. Uh, yeah, it's a little it's a little restrictive.
1: Uh, it is. Well, and it's one thing when you are working from home and you have the ability mm-hmm. to go do things. But when uh, those freedoms are taken away from you for one reason or another, I mean, you know, you, it's usually house arrest, but you know, in this case it's, it's COVID-19. So um, you know, it makes it a little harder.
2: Yeah. So the first, the first half of the week call it like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was was pretty good. Like every day I was getting out and I was going for a run or going for a bike ride and you know, getting good exercise and feeling like I was part of the world. And then Wednesday night, Thursday, the snow came in and all of a sudden. Uh, there's not not so much freedom anymore.
1: Yeah, it, it has been interesting. So this week, my kids are in school in Jeffco, and this they were in school this week, even though not physically at school. So they did remote learning. So I got to do things like PE with my kids. So yeah. I, I have a weight set in the garage, and so I was lifting with one of my sons, which was nice. It's yeah, pretty fun. You know what? Um, I will say it's been a benefit not uh, having the ability to go to restaurants because you know I tend to do that. You know, especially working <laughs> downtown. So. Uh, you know, helps for the waistline a little bit, not not eating the junk food and having to think about the things that you eat because there's only so much food in your house.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You got to make it last. Uh, I I'll tell you, you know, the some of the thoughts we think a lot about social distancing right now, especially with my kids and uh, I've, I've been reading a book as one might do when one is sitting in their house a lot. And, and in the book, these people like ran up to each other and hugged and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Stop <laughs> and, it. Why are you writing about this? I'm like, oh, wait, wait, <laughs> this wasn't written in, in 2020.
1: Ban this <laughs> book.
2: It's taboo. <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and move over to our, uh, our housekeeping. We do have a Slack channel and I'd say our Slack channel is as vibrant as it's ever been. Probably more so.
1: Yeah. Um, it's really been great this week, seeing all the conversations happening in there. We did, uh, if you were interested, uh, start a COVID-19 channel to try and get all of that talk in one place instead of having try and socially
2: w- isolate the social, media, social media, isolate the, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. But,
1: but there've been a lot of good discussions going on there, whether it's people talking about how to best work from home or, you know, uh, just news that's going on. It, it, it's been a lot of great discussion there. Uh, we do have a mailing list. So if you go to the website, colorado-security.com, you can sign up for the mailing list. You'll get show notes in the mail. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. So you can also get access to Slack message or the Slack channel on the website. Um, we also would love it if you would rate us and subscribe. This is a great time to use the podcast for folks to get connected with the community since we're not going to do a lot of connecting in person. Um, so if you want to tell folks uh, how to, how to get a hold of the podcast, we would love it. And of course, rate us on the
1: podcast app and subscribe. So it's in your inbox every week. Um, I know it is tough financial times right now for some people, but If you um, do value our community and have a little extra change, we would love for you to support us on Patreon and help us, um, you know, cover the costs that we have here at Colorado equal security.
2: I also flip it around and say, if you've, if you've been impacted by the, the uh, shutdowns and any layoffs uh, as a part of this, reach out to us. Uh, We'll see if we can connect you with folks who might be able to uh, help you find a job Um, right now there, you know, Things are a little weird, um, but you know, obviously, there's a lot of folks out there who need talent, and, and I'm sure we could help you get connected if you're impacted here.
1: Yeah, I will say that you know we do have a jobs channel on the Slack workspace, and there's even been a lot of chatter in there this week. People that are still looking to hire, uh, yeah. even though the it is not normal.
2: Yeah. Uh, next, we we also we look for people to help us do interviews for the show. I wanted to say a huge thanks to those folks who have stepped up recently and, and done some interviews for us. Um, John Hubbard and Jason Jakes have, have really come through with quite a few interviews. We're going to have those running here uh, soon. Alex and I have had a pretty hard and fast rule that we only do interviews in person over the last three years. I think that might change over the next I, couple months. I have
1: a feeling it'll change uh, at least yeah, for the short term.
2: Yeah, um, it's it's you know one of the bummers about doing things remotely is you don't get that. Person-to-person connection. One of the positives is you don't get coronavirus from them, so so it's possible we'll be we'll be looking at changing. And if you're interested in getting involved in doing remote interviews, reach out.
1: Maybe we can make that work. Awesome. So let's jump into the news. Uh, first, the Denver firm InterTech. Medical is making key components of a rapid coronavirus test. Yeah, this is
2: pretty cool. Uh, so Intertech Medical is the sister company to Intertech Plastics. Um, they're making the compla- the past- eh, plastic components for three different co- COVID-19 tests. The first test has already received FDA approval on March 12th, and two
1: two more are expected to come soon. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, so they're not making the components that actually do the sort of testing itself, but just the, the components that store the reagents and... Um, take the samples and that sort of thing. So pretty cool yeah. that that's happening here in Colorado.
2: Yeah. And I thought that one thing that stood out to me was that the test that they're creating um, instead of like the normal test, which is basically takes a day to get the results. This is about 45 minutes uh, to come back with results.
1: Yeah, that was pretty cool too. All right.
2: Uh, uh, next one, another company that's helping solve things. Uh, and, and of course, I think there's one thing we can agree about. It's that distilleries are out for the common good. Is that right?
1: I think that that is uh, common wisdom there, Rob. Um, yeah, there's a story this week about several distilleries, and I'm sure that there are more since this story came out that are uh, using their abilities instead of making alcohol to drink, but uh, making alcohol to put on your hands.
2: So this story is specifically dives in mostly about Spirit Hound, uh, which is up there in the I think it's Longmont area near Boulder. Um, they they got. Um, Glycerin and hydrogen peroxide, and they use the WHO, the World Health Organization's recipe, to make 48 gallons of uh, of hand sanitizer that they've been giving away to the community.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that they've donated to uh, like the local fire and rescue uh, group and other things like that. Um, So pretty cool. They got some uh, some containers donated from a, a local store that makes um green goo green goo thanks yeah. green goo that you know makes other sort of hand products and, and things like that so pretty cool to see that that's happening as well
2: yeah this this is interesting to me because it's the legality of this whole thing is a little bit murky as the story puts it um uh these dealers are, are anyone who's a distillery is uh is regulated by the atf right um alcohol tobacco and firearms right um agency for the federal government. Um, And it's not really clear that they're allowed to make hand sanitizer. So they're working with uh, Colorado legislatures and, and, Um, politicians to, to figure out how to to navigate this. So number one, they can, they can help give back. And number two, you know, for their own financial livelihood, this is not a good time to be, to be a a, a distiller. There's just not a lot of ways to sell things and their sales are probably going to plummet. If they can make hand sanitizer, which is in high demand and, you know, they can't keep it on the shelves at stores, that would probably help them make it through these tough times.
1: I think there are probably some, uh, some tax consequences there too, Rob. I think for a much. Alcohol, they actually distill. I think they have to, you know, pay taxes per gallon or you know whatever yeah. it is. So, um, if if they're just making this and giving it away, they would still probably owe some sort of tax bill. Yeah, th- theoretically, good based question. on that. So hopefully wow. that gets resolved as well.
2: well. Good for those guys.
1: Appreciate them giving back to the community. Uh, next, um, a global fintech company needed more than two hundred and eighty thousand square feet of office space here in Denver to expand their office. So number one, I was th- my first question is okay, where are they getting?
2: That biggest space because there's not that many of them, right? And it's the old First Data office on Quebec, just north of uh, Arapahoe Road. Uh, I think aEcom is the other organization that's in there right now. Um, and and it, the company is called Computer Share, not CompuShare,
1: yep. not CompuShare. Uh,
2: I assume that this is a a distant cousin of
1: probably not uh, who home. knows.
2: Yeah. But they have over a thousand employees in Denver, twelve hundred fifty employees here in the Denver area, and that's shocking to me since I don't know them.
1: Yeah, I was not really familiar with them as well. The name sounds, you know, vaguely familiar, um, but I, I really didn't know much about them. This was not their first office in, in uh, the U.S. They had a couple other spaces here. Um, I believe they were they're from Australia originally. That's where they're yeah, based. That sounds right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds like Denver is going to be by far their biggest office in the U.S
2: and they're combining two other offices they had one in Highlands Ranch and one in right. was it Greenwood Village I can't remember the, where the yeah, other that one sounds was right. and they were trying to find a spot that was conveniently located anyway super conveniently located for me that's a, very close to my house over by the Kaiser building and stuff um, anyway good for those guys and it's exciting to see that space be uh, be used by another uh, tech company
1: yeah maybe they'll be as big as First Data here
2: uh, next we have the results we actually have two rounds worth of results for the uh March or the to me the color Colorado Ino tech madness so this is that kind of tournament showing off the the tech startups here in Colorado and having them face off against each other uh, we talked about it a, maybe a month ago uh, and we've had two rounds of results that we can give we can give here
1: yeah so we are now into the uh the elite eight Rob so um we have several uh companies that we know that have been involved this. Right. Right. uh cyber uh stackhawk um conga conga yeah uh, lots of uh, uh, what's the
2: sphero sphero's on the list sphero jump cloud yeah, JumpCloud,
1: yeah. You know, lots of uh local tech companies that were involved um both uh stackhawk and cyber made it to the suite 16 but uh sadly only stackhawk made it into the elite oh! Eight.
2: <laughs> stackhawk still alive and 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 flying through the the bracket, as it were. They do have a matchup against Conga here in the Elite Eight, though. So that's going to be a tough one for them to make the Final Four.
1: Definitely. Um, and uh, it, it's also been a, a pretty good week for StackHawk. Which I think we will talk about uh, up here shortly.
2: I do want it before we move on, though, the The voting is open right now oh. for this. So if folks want to go out and vote to, to see StackHawk make the final four, get out there, click the link in our show notes um, and, and, and vote for, for StackHawk so we can continue calling for them in the following weeks.
1: If you do vote for them, when you click the button to submit the vote, you have to make the sound. So <laughs> it's a requirement. I I think that's obvious. Uh, Next, uh, MindSpark Learning and Girls Who Code partnered to make computer science more accessible to girls across the US. So I didn't, I, I knew the name MindSpark Learning, but I don't think I knew a lot about
2: them. So it was nice to read this article to to figure out, you know, they're a Denver based national nonprofit. They work with different educational folks to to give them resources, especially around technology and, and, and education for young folks. Um, they have announced that they're gonna work with Girls Who Code to bring free computer science uh, resources to third to fifth graders and yeah. also sixth to 12th graders.
1: Yeah, pretty cool. Um, so going into this, I was, going to read the story, and I was assuming that there was going to be something that was going to be available directly to people based out of uh, out of this. But um, they this is stuff that is aimed at schools. So you could potentially reach out to your uh, your school and and make sure that they know about it so that they could utilize the materials.
2: Absolutely. Um, So there were a couple of interesting stats in here. The Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that computing occupations make about 67% of of new jobs in the STEM fields Um, and uh, Girls who code found that less than a quarter of computing jobs are held by women, and what was most shocking to me is that they expect that this number is going to be going down over the next seven years, huh. from twenty five percent down to twenty two percent.
1: That is crazy. So
2: this is a, a trend we obviously want to reverse, and I, and I think you do have to go back to to those eight uh, eight year olds, the you know third graders and, and older, to start giving them that the familiarity and, and comfort with working with computers. For sure,
1: That's definitely a good thing.
2: Uh next uh so you you alluded to this uh Denver startup Stackhawk lands 2.5 million dollars uh
1: funding for their app security product. Go ahead Alex. <laughs> um so uh yeah so congrats again to Stackhawk. Um I I think this is probably good timing for them uh getting some funding right before we are going into the the um uh, the cor- new world the that the we are going pression, into
2: the corona the <laughs> corona
1: <laughs> yeah, Corona pressure. Corona Recession. Yes. Um, so uh, congrats to them to getting a new round of funding um, right before I would imagine that funding is going to start to dry up. So that that's good.
2: So this uh, round was co-led by Costanoa Ventures and the Foundry Group. Foundry Group is, of course, the local uh, VC here in town. Um, they also had Flybridge Capital and Matchstick Ventures, part of it. This brings their total fundraising up to $4.6 And that's only since last July. So they've, they've definitely... Uh, been able to been lucky getting automate, not not lucky. They've been uh, successful getting money to fund their venture. They're currently at 11 employees and they expect to get up to 15 by the end of the year.
1: Yeah. They also noted in the article that they, right now that they are in sort of their alpha stage. And if you want to participate with them, you can, but they expect to have a beta product out, uh, before the end of the summer. Is that what it was? Uh, not too long anyway. So pretty cool there. Um, Next, uh, Red Canary released their 2020 threat detection report, and there are some interesting findings in it.
2: Yeah, so they're talking about uh, really that these, uh, the, the trend, the biggest trend is around worms and and seeing TrickBot as, as maybe the, the most popular uh, or the most notable uh, worm moving through and, and how that has been impacting and, and causing significant impacts to the customers of Red Canary. Tricky, tricky, tricky. Yeah.
1: So
2: uh, worms, worms are the... The, the key yeah. the key word here, right?
1: Uh, I do think it's cool how they do their threat report, how they link everything back to the attack uh, matrix, MITRE's yeah. attack matrix, so you can see, oh, hey, these are the techniques that um, that attackers were using. So, you know, potentially you can see the areas where you might need to improve based on where attackers are actually attacking.
2: Yeah, it doesn't do a lot of good to, to know what the... Malware is with if you, if it doesn't help you inform what kind of defenses you put in place and and really what practices where are you going to be focusing and looking I think you could use this report to to figure out where your own uh, security operations are, are lacking and, and hopefully get better before the bad guys get in there definitely uh, next we have a, a webinar by Ping Identity this week so this this is in here because I was one of the the people on the webinar I did a, a webinar with Richard Bird who's a, a colleague over there just talking about Um, what has it looked like so far as we've made the, the very rapid shift from working in the office to working from home and, and what we've heard from our customers, you you know, at ping, we're, we're high tech and, um, it wasn't a big technical shift for us to move remote, but we've heard from a lot of customers where it has been a lot more difficult. So we called out some of the stuff that they've learned and we've learned and, uh, what you might want to be considering as you,
1: as you make that shift to work from home. Nice. I look forward to listening to it, Rob. Uh, finally the uh, there was a coal fire blog this week this is uh, going back to one of those the great coal fire technical blogs talking about the basics of exploit development uh, looking at sch overflows or structured exception handlers
2: yeah so this is this has been around for a long time um, uh, as a wind, as a 32 bit windows application vulnerability. Um, however, even though it's an old vulnerability, it actually is something that is, uh, is still showing up in the wild today and is useful for folks to learn. I think that if you're someone who's just lear- looking to get more into the details of malware, looking to get more into red teaming, this would be a great resource for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Check it out.
2: I love it. I love it when the local companies come up with this highly technical content that you just, you just don't find it
1: everywhere. Exactly. Thanks to fire for that. All right, so that is our news for the week. Let's jump over to the Slack message of the week. We uh, had a million options this week, Alex. <laughs> Literally a million. Yeah. There are lots and lots of messages that were out there.
2: Big thanks to Andre Gata. Andre has been a, a, a huge supporter of the show. Uh, we we appreciate him funding the Slack message of the week himself um, and, and giving $25 gift c- credit toward anyone who, who gets that message they can they can use it out of the uh the color equal security uh store right any of our swag exactly and rob who was our winner for this week chris c i don't know what the c stands for maybe it's chris chris but chris c shared uh, a link this this week that uh cambridge university has released all of their digital textbooks for free
1: that's amazing wow if you want to be edumacated then you can go check out those textbooks and and over the last week, I've also seen a whole bunch
2: of, you know, universities releasing courses for free. And all I can think is at this point, if you are not, you know, receiving the highest grade education in the world, it's just because you're not trying to, right. Right. It's, it's available out there. Find, find the time, go do it. All of this content is free. It's, it's
1: amazing. Really cool stuff. But Rob, I'm so busy. Where am I going to find the time to do all this stuff? Thank God you can't leave your house, right? Oh (laughs) yeah, that's right. Uh, Anyway, so congratulations to Chris.
2: I will hook you up with Andre and you can, uh, you can pick one item from the Colorado Equal Security store.
1: Awesome. Uh, So we're going to diverge a little bit right now from our normal, normally scheduled uh, pieces and we're going to skip events. We will Um,
2: remind you, we have a calendar of events that you probably shouldn't look at because it's probably wrong.
1: I would say uh, probably just about everything on there is canceled. I know, uh, for example, the ISSA Denver chapter is looking at for ways uh, to do their uh, chapter meetings remotely Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if there's any details there yet. And I would imagine that other groups are trying to do similar things. So, uh, if there's something on the calendar that looks interesting to you, you may want to just go check it out, um, on the website anyway, to see if they had, have made accommodations to do it remotely.
2: Uh, you know, speaking of cancellations, you know, most of the little events are canceled. I, I, I can say that the, the, uh, rims, uh, annual conference. So that's the risk. I don't remember what rim stands for, but it's the risk managers, uh, group that gets together and they do enterprise risk management. They were going to do their big annual conference in Denver the first week of May. That has been canceled. Um, We expect, you know, you're going to continue seeing those things um, at least least for the short term. Canceled virtual, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So skipping over events, um, let's go ahead and talk about jobs.
1: Yeah. As we mentioned, there are still people hiring. Um, So first, IHS market is looking for an operational assurance and compliance associate director. Pretty cool. It's a big mouthful. Um App Dynamics, which is a Cisco company, is looking to hire a compliance manager that's here in Colorado. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um Empower Retirement is looking for a manager of technology security.
2: Ball Corp is hiring a cybersecurity operations lead.
1: NREL is looking for a cybersecurity SecOps practitioner slash analyst.
2: Marathon Petroleum is hiring an OT. That's an uh Oh, holy smokes! O- Operation, operational technology, yep. instead of information technology. Operational technology, a cybersecurity professional.
1: Um, I bet that would be a cool job. Spectrum is looking for a principal security engineer. You know, Bank
2: of America is looking for a cybersecurity operations level one analyst. So Rob,
1: did you pick the jobs this week just on how long the uh, the job titles the the title? The longer the
2: title, the more time it takes up. It's good stuff.
1: Uh, Pulte Financial Services is looking for a junior information security specialist.
2: Pretty awesome. They I know they just hired a new CISO recently. Yep. And and I guess this is Curtis's first hire.
1: Yeah. Congrats. Uh,
2: Pulte is a, a great place. Both Alex and I have worked there. I think you'd like working there if you yeah, got the chance.
1: It's a good company.
2: Uh, finally, DaVita is hiring a corporate counsel for privacy and cybersecurity. Ooh, that sounds exciting as well.
1: So uh, Rob,
2: I th- I think that's it. That's for a wrap. How, that's it. Uh, um, we do have, but we do have an interview. We so do. We have an interview with Brad Judy. Brad is an information security officer over at the University of Colorado. Uh, he sat down with uh, with John Hubbard, and we're going to get to learn all about his background.
1: Awesome. Uh, I'd also like to say, you know, while Rob and I are actually recording this in person, we, we are not touching, and we are keeping a, a safe distance from each other.
2: Yeah, so. we are. We are at least six feet away. Yes. All right, well, that's it. Thanks, everybody. We look forward to talking to you soon. And if, don't be a stranger, reach out on the Slack channel.
1: All right, thanks, Rob.
3: This is Robert Wood, VP of Security at Alps Fund Services. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Hey, Colorado Equal Security. This is John Hubbard. I'm sitting down with Brad Judy. Brad is the Information Security Officer for the System Administration Division at University of Colorado. Brad, how's it going?
0: It's going great. Thank you for
3: having me, John. Sure, happy to have you here. Can you hear me all right? Are your ears ringing a little bit from the concert you went to last night? Uh,
0: fortunately, they're, they're not. Okay. I'm trying to be pretty good about protecting my hearing when I go out. But do you do wear earplugs when you go? Uh, to when I remember them, <laughs> <laughs> it's like 50 percent of the time. Okay. All right. But yeah, I do. I, I love to go out and see you know live music, local music, around okay. just. Lots of different venues. Where were you last night? And who'd you see? So, last night I went up to uh, Fort Collins. The mm-hmm. First time I've gone up there to uh, Washington's, which is a really cool venue. Yeah, there. they recently redid it. Yeah, it's really nice. Okay. And so it was uh, Kiltrove, which is a Denver area um, band, mm-hmm. uh, and then Sun Little and the uh, Serotones. Okay. Uh, it was part of uh, Colorado Sound. They're doing an anniversary concert thing. Okay. What kind of music? Uh, so, it's a little bit of a, a mix. I mean, it's still a. Um, Kiltro calls themselves Zapata Gaze or something like that. <laughs> it's kind of a, a, a pretty low key type of music, but um, then it kind of goes through, I mean some little guy on his guitar singing, great voice, then the serotones is a really high energy, you know, full band and All right. uh, it's, uh, you know, some bluesy rock stuff and they were a lot of fun. Okay. Um, but it was cool to see that venue for the first time.
3: Have you ever been to Foco MX, the Fort Collins music experience? Yeah, no, I haven't. I think that's every April if they're still doing okay. it. So check that out if you like going
0: nice. to Fort Collins. Yeah, I've uh, not been up there. I've been mostly in the Denver stuff. Um, okay. done three years. of the Underground Music Showcase. Have you ever done that? And no. Take over South Broadway for three days. And it's <laughs> like 15 venues for three days straight. 250 artists. It's crazy. Is it outdoor? Uh, there's two or three outdoor venues, uh-huh. but mostly it's the, the bars and stuff that are normally venues down there do it, mm-hmm. and then some restaurants and other places will host as well. Okay. So it changes a little bit year to year, but
3: Okay,
0: it's a, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> what about uh, Boulder's
3: music scene, like the, the Fox, Boulder Theater? Yeah,
0: Fox, Boulder Theater, uh, i done concerts at both of those, which are good, cool venues. Mm-hmm. Um, And also on uh, the those on CU campus at Mackey Auditorium and and Mary Mm -hmm. Ripon Theater. Yeah, I've uh, been to a show at the Mackey Auditorium. That was a really pretty venue. Yeah, it's a really nice kind of historic venue Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then a lot of the Denver scene, the Colfax Strip and the South Broadway Strip.
3: Any memorable concerts that jump out to you in recent years?
0: Are you you really glad you were there, really glad you were able to to attend? Uh, There have been a lot of good ones. a couple years ago and saw um, Brick and Mortar and Unlikely Candidates down the Bluebird. Mm-hmm. Um, I do Brick and Mortar, it's a um, fun band to see They They just have a fun time and there's doing random costume changes. It's just like three guys <laughs> just having a, a lot of fun on stage. And so that's- that, that can be infectious in a yeah, good way. It, it can be, there's just a lot of cool small bands. Also need to go into some place like Lost Lake, which is right nearby, which is maybe a hundred people fit in there. Okay, and so it's just kind of fun to go to those really small places too. Yeah, so
3: it sounds like you're not going to the Red Rocks and the Pepsi Center shows necessarily.
0: Um, I've been, I've certainly been to Red Rock shows and it's a cool venue to do, mm-hmm. um, and so you, know, you get the right name, it's good to go out there. I've actually never been to a concert at the Pepsi Center. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah,
3: okay. I've been uh, once or twice uh, I saw the Black Keys there, oh, nice. and That'd be fun the, yeah, they were really high energy, but the sound was not great. Oh. I think Pepsi Center is just not meant to be a great concert yeah. venue, so you, you may not be missing out much <laughs> if you've never been. <laughs> you to go there for sporting events, but yeah, maybe not pay uh, two hundred dollars for a concert. Yeah, that's another thing too. It's
0: a little, little pricier. Mm-hmm. Small venues, you see some local bands and. You know it's it's a very affordable way to have some fun right
3: right Well, is that something you did when you were growing up did you grow up here in Colorado? did you uh,
0: grow up, up elsewhere up, in the country? Uh, well, I've lived in Colorado for more than half my life and of grew up all over the place we lived a lot around okay. a lot when I was a kid so uh, I was in Montana, South Dakota, Michigan, Idaho, Washington, Ohio okay. um, Colorado, uh, all within the US
4: Yeah, I've never
0: lived outside the us right
4: yeah.
3: But that's uh that's kind of all over, and that's not just West Coast or anything like that. That's no, yeah, back was, and forth, back and forth.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of back and forth, but it's uh it's nice to get exposure to like a whole lot of the country and mm-hmm. you know, sure. get a better feel for what it's like out there. And then, I've, you know, even the places I haven't lived, I've traveled to all but three of the states.
3: So, oh wow! Um, okay, who's who's left on your list?
0: Alaska, Arkansas, and Mississippi. All
3: right, Alaska makes sense. Yeah, it's
0: a it's special a, trip, planning trip. Yeah, it's a haul. Yeah.
3: Okay. Um, so then, uh, where'd you gra- which state did you live in when you graduated high school? Uh, here in Colorado. So, okay, so you were graduating from high school in
0: Colorado, and then did you go straight into university? Yeah, straight to university, went to CU Boulder. Okay. I uh, undergrad there. Okay, what did you study? I started, long story short, in engineering, physics, and finished in sociology. <laughs> All right.
3: I would think those would be in different colleges. <laughs> they are indeed in different colleges. So I
0: spent yeah two years doing uh, physics and calc and things like that. Uh, decided that really wasn't my game. Sure. Um, but I worked in IT the whole time I was in college. Okay. And so um, getting real world experience. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, my first IT gigs were running the computer labs on the Boulder campus. All right. Back when they were, you know. DOS and Windows 3.1 and into <laughs> Windows 95 and so this was before virtualization and yeah, yeah. Uh, Maybe there was imaging, but maybe you were loading things from floppy disks. Yeah, there were some there were some Novell 312 installs from floppy disks <laughs> Okay Yeah, and
3: what were the uh, students using the, the labs for at that point?
0: I mean at, at that point you had um, a lot of us at Access to applications because even if you if you did bring a computer with you, it was a desktop in your dorm mm-hmm. or your Not portable. Or whatever, it wasn't portable. No one had laptops really at that point, and so um, and there wasn't good ways of getting the software on your home computer. And so even if you wanted to do fairly straightforward stuff, we take for granted now of getting a hold of the software and putting it on your own personal computer, you had to go into a lab to sure. do that. There's no way to to put it on your own computer.
3: Kids these days don't know how good
0: they have it. <laughs> Plus you had, to, you had to print all your assignments back then. You can submit them electronically <laughs> until they would also go to the labs to print, to print things. Sure, sure.
3: Yeah. Okay, so that that was uh, in the early days of technology yeah. doing DOS and Windows. And Did you kind of stay on that path, follow the, the Microsoft Windows? Uh,
0: I did, it was um, my first full-time gig for CU was uh, the original design and build of their first active directory um we were a okay. microsoft rapid deployment customer and so okay that was 99 2000.
3: yeah active directory must have i think it came out with windows 2000 is that right it got off the the nt domain system yeah. and moved to dns based right yeah, okay. yeah. So, so you didn't have a whole lot of um reference architecture i'm guessing right there wasn't Decades of proven AD design that you could draw from. We're
0: making it up as we went. It was also <laughs> one of the wonderful things about working in higher education is that we talk with our peers all the time, mm-hmm. and there's, we don't worry about competition and, and like don't talk to our competitors or anything. Yeah, there's more um, cooperation. There's a lot of cooperation and collaboration, especially in, in that we were working sure. with um, folks I, I knew at um, Carnegie Mellon and MIT and Stanford and University of Washington and some other places on they were all doing it at the same time. And so we got together and we eventually formed that into um, a conference. We started uh, a technology conference, got Microsoft to sponsor it. Um, they still hold it, you know, 18 years later or something like that okay. on the Microsoft campus. Um, Specifically for higher education. Ed- yeah, higher education the use of their technologies. Okay. It's a neat conference that they've had since half the speakers are higher ed peers talking about stuff and half of them are Microsoft folks. Right. We always held it on the Microsoft campus because you can get some pretty awesome speakers when all they have to do is walk out of their office <laughs> for an hour and um, then go back to work and right. they don't have to fly anywhere. Sure. Sure. Uh, so it was uh, Okay.
3: And did you say Microsoft was involved in the design of the AD domain
0: for CU? Yeah, we were a rapid deployment customer, which is a, one of Microsoft programs We get involved during the beta phase and they, mm-hmm. send, they give you some consulting hours and so they send a okay. out to work with us. And, um, so yeah, they were part of the process in the early days. Okay.
3: And the, the real question is, 20 years later, is that domain still alive and kicking today?
0: Uh, it is. It, there's a lot <laughs> of ways it doesn't look quite the same. You know, we uh, you know, consolidated, I don't think they have any child domains anymore, got, hmm. we collapsed it a little bit more. Okay. Um, there were some pretty... Um, Tricky things that we did in order to do interrupt with an extremely UNIX focused environment at the time sure yeah. and so you know we didn't use Microsoft DNS we uh, there were no actual you know the, the authentication is a long explanation but we actually still used an MIT Kerberos realm as authentication even for the active directory which is a little bit of a complicated thing to set up sure uh, <laughs> sounds like it yeah uh, but you know Matt I I really learned those that Kerberos standard really well. <laughs> Doesn't do me much good anymore. Uh-huh. Man, I can tell you about tickets and TGTs. <laughs> TGTs. That yeah. that uh,
3: you know, if you're in the pen pen testing or something like that, that could certainly be relevant. Yeah, I, golden tickets. I know are. Uh, a big win if you're trying to pen test an active directory domain.
0: I think that's a, a great thing for anyone who's doing you know, attack or defense, but especially pen testers that really understand the fundamentals of how these things work mm-hmm. in order to uh, attack them and know how they can be attacked. Right. Or, you know, simple things of, yeah, can you attack the active directory by attacking the underlying DNS, SRB records or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Or, or through the curve service or through whatever else. Okay. Or through the fact that it, you know, for various functions and, uh, it silently falls back from Kerberos to NTLM. <laughs> um, Unless you change the group policy setting or something like that. Are there are certain functions that cannot use Kerberos. If you okay. map a drive in Windows using an IP address, it cannot use Kerberos to authenticate that. Huh. Because they don't create Kerberos, servers, Kerberos service principal names for IP addresses. Only oh, for those okay. Yeah.
3: I guess that makes sense. So all these things we had to understand. Right, yeah, we, <laughs> you, uh, you found out for the first time when, when, when you, you were, do funky things with yeah. perverose, you break it really. Sure. Or, <laughs> so did you ever pursue the uh, the MSCE certification?
0: No, like I never did um, in part because just for myself, I've never been cared too much about getting certifications. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people, it's it's a real interest of them and, and they get a lot of um, satisfaction out pursuing them. This has never been my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got my CISSP when I changed jobs because I knew it was going to be important to put on resumes. Right, um, right. And uh, I, I love learning and I think you know, professional development and ongoing learning is, is critical. Uh, mm-hmm. I've just never, never cared too much about the search. For sure, myself.
3: yeah, yeah. there's differing opinions. Some people, like you said, have to get it for the, uh, the HR validation yeah. in order to get some promotion or get a new job or something yeah. like that. Um, I just I saw on Twitter that Microsoft is retiring the the MSCE, so uh, even if you had it, it would be going the way of the dodo. (laughs) I think they're going all in on Azure right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, So you got cut your teeth in Active Directory and got a lot of expertise there, and then were you able to like leverage that to to work on the larger enterprise networks as well?
0: Yeah, so after that, um, I moved and did that for about three years, and. Did IT architecture for a few years at okay. CU. Uh, worked on email systems, learning management systems, storage systems, um, all sorts of different things. Okay, uh, which was great to broaden my view of um, IT services and how they interact with customers. And um, I was uh, amusing and learning uh, things like UML diagramming. And <laughs> right. We used to refer to UML use case diagrams as Blair Witch diagrams. Little the <laughs> stick figures that were connected to each other. So, uh,
3: architect can mean a lot of different things. Were you doing, you know, more technical data center architecture? Or were you doing enterprise architecture, where you're talking about where data is going to live and information systems? Are you doing like this application was, architecture? This
0: is probably most accurate to call it application architecture or service architecture. Okay. Um, we did, like I said, worked on um, some of it was totally new things, but it was like, you know, updating the mail routing flow and mail protection schemes for the campus, Okay. And, you know, new storage systems, um, did a major upgraded learning management system during that time. So yeah, probably most accurate to call it application architecture.
3: Okay, uh, I'm looking at your LinkedIn and I see WebCT, and I was a WebCT user back in the day, and had a little bit of flashback, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? I, I kind of that too. was we were
0: Web all that at the time. Is that still a product? Is that still around? Well, Blackboard bought them out many years ago. All right, and then folded it. I think they killed off that product line and folded it in. Um, they really, uh, I think, just wanted to buy the customer base because <laughs> right after they bought the company, the, um my understanding is they closed the Vancouver office and. Um, told people they could move to DC if they wanted to but who moves from Vancouver to <laughs> DC? Yeah, that's a, that's a long haul
3: <laughs> Okay, and then after that uh, looks like you started to develop a specific focus on security
0: so well, yeah. i still at CU. you yeah after I did the architecture for a little while then um, the Security office expanded and it was bef- before I went to it, it was really two folks uh, one of which is still there's is uh, my boss now still um, Dan Jones and uh, they added a couple more people into it, and so it was kind of the first growth step of the security office on the Boulder campus, and that was 14 years ago or something. Um, Not many people were talking about security 14 years ago. Yeah, it was it a was pretty narrow field then, and mm-hmm. as someone with a systems background, I suppose with a network background, it was a challenge, because everyone who was in security at the time were networking folks. Yeah. It was a heavily network-focused field, And we've gone through, I think, those cycles of, oh, we've got a big systems focus, now we're getting a big application focus. Mm -hmm. And and so it's been interesting to watch who comes into security evolve over time as that focus has changed. Right. (laughs) uh, This current crop of candidates might
3: have a system in background one year and then more of a web app and development background the next year.
0: And now we've got kind of the first crops of folks with pure academic information, you know, Folks getting cybersecurity bachelor's degrees. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's
3: uh, relatively new Yeah, it's been in this the last five years or so It's mm-hmm. really
0: taken off to see you offer a cybersecurity mm-hmm. We do have each or, campus has a little slightly different programs for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the Colorado Springs campus has uh, they got a grant a while ago do a cybersecurity center research center down there so mm-hmm. they definitely have some focus there Boulder campus has a cybersecurity master's program. Masters, okay. Um, and uh, Denver has a cybersecurity emphasis within their IS masters. Um, I don't believe they do a specific, okay, specific like a specialization, but yeah. not, not a full degree. Yeah. Okay. So they've each got. Um, it's been a growing thing. A lot of schools gotten into it. That's
3: great. That's great. So then, what were you doing specific, um, specific to the CU organization in that role?
0: Uh, that was, as so I said, the security office was pretty small at the time, right. so it's, you know, a little bit of everything. Yeah, lots of hats. Yeah, <laughs> everything from incident response to PCI compliance to, you know, policies and standards. Um, it's a little bit of everything. Less on the net, because I was kind of coming in, two of us came at the same time, and the other one came from the networking team, so he handled a lot of the networking-focused stuff. Okay. I handled a lot of the uh, more systems-focused things. Sure. And, um, yeah, so it was a little, yeah, a little bit of lots of
3: hats. <laughs> uh, when you say incident response, was that you know um, server incidents, malware on endpoints, all of the above,
0: Wh- whatever, whatever the software found, you'd have to investigate, yeah, and see it where it came from. Use a large network with a mm-hmm. lot of people on it, and mm-hmm. so yeah, we've dealt with everything from compromised servers to endpoints, compromised accounts. Of course, these days, compromised accounts are just a huge mm-hmm. have been a huge thing for a while, but certainly are a big topic, you know, lost mobile devices, you know, the intersection of, you know, real life crime with cyber issues and sure. with law enforcement as sure. happens.
3: So. I imagine in a large network like that, um, there has to be some level of segmentation between a student's device and what they're
0: downloading versus a faculty device and... There are, in it's kind of a yes and no, you know, the easy yeses are things like residence halls uh, tend mm-hmm. to be separated in, in most universities. That sure. one's pretty clean. When you get in things like the wireless networks, well, very often it's co mingled devices within a wireless, single wireless network. Okay. Um, so same SSID potentially. Yeah. Okay. Same uh, subnets. Then you get in things, you know, servers may be segmented off different types of servers, um, different types of um, critical use cases. You know, we have. You know, obviously VLANs for different types of functions that are more sensitive than mm-hmm. others. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely co-mingling um, of devices and it's hard not to when you know researchers, you know, especially you get grad students or even professors themselves are very commonly using their own personal machines to right. do their research. Sure. So and they're just plugging it into the ethernet
3: port in their office and. I don't know if anyone's <laughs> plugged
0: into an ethernet port in quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> their servers might be. <laughs> their servers, <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah, very many people bother to plug in their laptops anymore, but um, Yeah, and it's just a wide variety of devices and we, we chuckle sometimes at the BYOD discussions that have come up over time. Mm-hmm. So we're like That's the whole basis, for it. Like we are you know, essentially landlords for thousands of people. Mm-hmm. They're bringing their personal devices from day one. We've been dealing with gaming consoles on the network since gaming consoles had <laughs> network ports. Uh-huh. And, You know, such an interesting variety in in, you know rapid technology adoption. You know, that's a great age group to have people on the cutting edge
3: of technology. Yeah, sometimes they're front running what the what your department can
0: keep up with. Yeah. So we can see them show up with everything from, you know, whatever cool project I cooked up on my Raspberry Mm Pi to, you know, we see international students bring, you know, their special VoIP phone that was sold in their country for calling back home. That's, you know, <laughs> all sorts of network devices that you didn't really expect to right.
3: deal with. Right, and there's no way to put in a mobile device management MDM solution
0: on yeah. student devices. Yeah, you know? not, I don't know of any higher education that, that does that on right. yeah. Personal devices. I don't think that's uh, going to be viable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Not to just join a Wi-Fi network at least. Okay, Okay. so looks like you also took a detour to Emory and were a security specialist there as well. Was that a big change?
0: It was, um, you know, it's also in higher education. Emory University Healthcare was a great place to work down in Atlanta. Um, One of the big differences for me was picking up the healthcare side. Because I was at CU Boulder, we don't have any medical facilities there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Down there, there there's two major hospitals, and I think 24 remote clinics. And so there's okay. a large healthcare side of it, and sure. that was a new thing for me. Um, it was a great team, and it was a, a great place to work. Um, you know, it's a private university is you know fairly well funded, which was kind of nice too. <laughs> but uh, we still had lots of you know lots of challenges to deal with on the security space.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, things involving electronic medical records. I'm sure that yeah. uh, patient um, privacy.
0: Yeah. The medical side, but then we still had the same stuff was dealing with before, you know lots of. Uh, PCI merchants to deal with, compliance okay. on, incident response to deal with. You know, what are we going to replace our IDS, IPS with? What are we going to, you know, go through a few different technology RFPs while I was there? Um, but it was, uh, it was great and it was good in, in each of the locations to have opportunities to try to inject security into the project or procurement processes. We're getting to architecture review boards mm-hmm. or um, procurement processes where we're doing anything from technical reviews to contract reviews. Okay. Um, some of the compliance side of the security team uh, does contract reviews for technology contracts. Right, to make sure that there's protections for the organization yeah. before procuring things. Uh, and it's, uh, most of the time it's, uh, there's some protections for the organization, most of those protections for the personal information
4: Um it's,
0: yeah, that the organization is dealing with yeah. Yeah. <laughs> patient data. Well, it's patient data, student data, just employee records. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of personal information when you deal with any large
3: organization. Right, and then if there's ever a fight or a breach or something, it depends what the contract says as to who pays and yeah. who, who has and, what responsibility. And what terms
0: you get negotiated it varies by companies. There's some, especially the really large companies, can kind of take a no-negotiation stance you there's not much you can do about it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we've had some little companies that agree to everything in our standard language. That also makes me afraid. Like, you, you didn't object to anything. <laughs> I, I'm kind of worried that you're actually going to follow.
3: If they're too accommodating, yeah. maybe they don't understand, or maybe you, know, yeah. you worry if
0: they're going to still be around if they do have a breach. So it's, it's always tricky stuff, but it's, it's nice to be able to be working both sides Mm work the technical side, work the kind of legal and and policy side. Right, right. And advance the organization forward
3: on both fronts. Let's talk a minute about PCI. It looks like you've had a lot of experience with working with PCI and uh, payment card industry. Yeah, I've
0: been doing payment card industry compliance work for 13-ish years now. I've just kind of stepped out of that role with CU, but I was, you know, certified internal security assessor. So you certifies multiple different uh, internal security assessors, kind of helps you be in good standing with your bank. It's an optional mm-hmm. step for anyone, but it means that you're trained in redoing your exam every year. And so okay. like I've conducted lots of the merchant trainings on it. I did a full day workshop for other IT security folks on PCI compliance a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. I've done quite a bit of that. Um, it's definitely an interesting space. I mean, it's a very, detailed standard mm-hmm. um, and there's some very specific procedures about auditing it and with the university part of the interest is that you have a lot of different merchants that you're dealing with mm-hmm. you know, it's like well I work for just this one online store and I know this one thing it's like, well we have online stores in person stuff and all sorts of mix of different types of businesses and uh-huh. different ways of accepting cards and so that definitely made it uh, very challenging but you also meant that you learned an awful lot about PCI and how credit cards are processed.
3: <laughs> sure, and, sure. Does the University of Colorado have a standard uh, template to say, here is our supported POS, here is our supported merchant, or do those individual storefronts have the option to choose?
0: Uh, it's a little bit of both. They're definitely, um, especially for the, the in-person ones, we've got some standardized devices and, mm-hmm. and those have evolved over the years, Sure, you know, getting into the space of you know, point-to-point encryption and stuff like that, like we're in these days. Then online, we have um, some standards for particular types of things, but you always end up with a business driver that says, oh, we really want to use this specific application for a lot of business reasons, and it doesn't work with the standard payment processing gateway or whatever. Sure. So, so there's, there's some there's compatibility yeah. that, <laughs> that leads to exceptions. And and so those are definitely, they're challenging, but you know, at the end of the day, there are some good business reasons that they wanted to use mm-hmm. something a little bit different that sure. work better for the business process so
3: any information security professional is probably going to come across PCI at some point in their career mm-hmm. is there a set of facts that you want to share to say without going into an extreme level of detail here's what every person should know about PCI if you're going to be in information mm-hmm. security these sets of facts these basics will get you up to speed on at least how to respond to when the business says we want to take credit cards.
0: I think that's that's a good question. I think first and foremost, remember that PCI is a contractual obligation; it's not a law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's applied to you with your you know, your contract with your bank. And so we run into some times where people think about PCI applying to credit card numbers.
4: Uh-huh.
0: It's not specifically attached to credit card numbers; it's attached to a business relationship. Um, and so that's one starting point. I think the a lot of people talk about how you scope and how do you yeah. understand you know, which SAQ applies. That's a right. huge topic that right. DCI is trying to figure and out. And SAQ stands it. for? Uh, Self-assessment <laughs> <laughs> questionnaire. Yes. Yeah. So you know, everyone's most organizations are small if they self-assess to their bank what their compliance level is. Mm-hmm. And which means filling out a questionnaire online, yeah. and so the, the, the bank trust is legitimate. And, and those are broken down into uh, half dozen or so different types based on, I do this type of, I accept credit cards in this way, thus a subset of the standard applies to my setup, so I do online only, this subset applies, I'm doing in person, this applies, I'm doing point-to-point encrypted, this other subset applies, so there's a lot of thought that goes into making sure you understand which of those really apply, and working with the business to help them understand hey, you know, if we manage to implement some new technology like point-to-point encryption or we um, only did online, we didn't also do this other thing, Mm -hmm. you know, we would actually, our compliance burden would be lowered. Yes. And so you can have some good conversations if you have a good business partner. That's been one of the great things at CU, you know, the treasury office there. has Mm -hmm. been a terrific business partner over the years and how we go about this and, and how we enforce it. And then just having that really structured, for you having so many merchant accounts, a lot of it's about having a well-structured workflow process for doing the compliance cycle each year. Because so We have so many different departments we have to work with on that. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a big thing is how do you structure your process? How do you, you know, train everyone? How do you get them through their SAQs? <laughs> right. How do you work with them on change management when they want to change what application they're using or um, change their business process on how they take credit cards?
3: Um, the partnerships have been just a huge key thing. Mm-hmm. And are there multiple merchants in play, right? So um, I'm thinking of you know, maybe a relationship with Chase Bank and then a relationship with Wells Fargo Bank and a multitude of financial.
0: Sue is a general, in terms of the bank side, has a single agreement okay. uh, with, with Wells Fargo, um, as is the state of Colorado in general, has a, a single agreement for that. Uh, which they just renewed, I think a year or so they did the, ago they did the RFP for that. Uh, but we do have a whole wide variety of different types of merchants. That's where the complexity comes in. Mm-hmm. As, you know, folks who have some familiar with see, you can imagine, you know, like any big university, you've got bookstores, you've got tickets, you've got payments for tuition, you've got just a huge variety of types of businesses going on there that some are online, some are in person. Uh, and that that's really what makes it kind of big and complicated for uh-huh. us is the... The wide
3: variety of merchants that we have. So, does the the team that you're on or similar team fill out the the SAQs for every single one of those merchants? So, every one of the merchants is
0: responsible for filling, filling themselves out. Themselves. We kind of own the workflow uh-huh. and we're the um, you know old shepherds or whatever of the process. We're making sure the merchants are completing. Right. It. We're helping them on. There's certain parts of it that we do kind of complete for them, like you know they've. Requirements around having incident response planning. Well, that's owned by the security team, right? Not them. Uh, and so we help them on those things, but mostly we're making sure they're getting it done. We're answering their questions. We're helping them understand, you know, is their network diagram up to date and you know accurate? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like that. We're answering technical questions for them about, well, if I do this or I do that, does that meet this requirement? So There's a lot of guidance and shepherding.
3: Okay. Great, so you came back to Colorado, uh, the uh, the old joke about the flat irons, once you see them, you have to <laughs> return, that, that got to you as well. And uh, about eight years ago, came back
0: to University of Colorado, and yeah. let's talk about your, your role and what you're doing now. So came back into an in information security officer role for the Assistant Administration Division of CU, which most people aren't aware of, it's a six, seven hundred people in that division, and it's some of the functions that are centralized between the campuses, we've got procurement folks and legal folks and audit and the president and vice presidents and folks like that over there. And the ERP systems are run out of that group. So we've got an IT department that runs the ERP systems. So that, when I came back, it was a security team of one. I was it. (laughs) Uh, Information security officer and all analysts. (laughs) And specialists and everything else, and engineers or whatever. Again, uh, wearing a lot of hats. Yeah, and then it's just grown over time and we've restructured it a couple of times since then. Uh, but we've had uh, good support there. We've had a couple different CIOs while I've been there, and they've been very supportive of security. And the IT department down that division has been pretty supportive of building security into the project process. And worked over time, building some of the technical processes, building into the project process. Um, got some pretty security savvy folks down there, so it's been a good group yeah. to work with. Um, and it's um, yeah, we, we've made a, a good deal of progress, and then we've done some more recent. Reorganization where my scope of responsibilities now includes uh, security operations for the Boulder campus. So I split my time between the Boulder campus mm-hmm. and uh, the system administration division down in Denver. All right. And uh, it's, so it's back. It's kind of nice. I'm coming back to Boulder after being gone for uh-huh. many years. Uh, some familiar faces and a lot of new
3: ones. Sure, yeah, I'm sure there's been some growth. Yeah, <laughs> over those years. So when you say security
0: operations, what what does that
3: mean? What are some of those functions and responsibilities that you so have
0: within the team that I have now? We've got folks that work on uh, monitoring, uh, incident response, vulnerability management, web application assessments, uh, forensics. Uh, you know, it's kind of the, the classic, you know, firewall policies, mm-hmm. like. The kind of classic security operations, IDS, IPS, things like that.
3: So different tools underneath each one of those banners as well, right? right? You've got an incident response tool set, you've got a, a scanning tool
0: set under vulnerability management. Yep. <laughs> you've got a number of different tools, and in some cases, because I have two IT departments between the two locations, the tools are diff- different, in uh, some okay. cases like firewalls are different
3: technologies uh-huh. between the two locations. Uh-huh and then monitoring could be what the antivirus reports or like a SEM. Yes, we have
0: a SEM that we manage within mm-hmm. the team and we just recently replaced that and for the first time we're working on a, a true multi-campus one, so the Denver and entrance medical campuses and Bowler campus system administration, all four of those locations run. Um, not just the same tool, but the same instance of the, of the tool. And okay. So we're kind of unifying that for the first time. Yeah, and you can get more visibility that way. Yeah, it's been a big project in this past year, in 2019, a lot of that was new STEM platform. Okay. All
3: right, Um, and then what are some projects, you know, aside from that, what are some other large-scale projects that you just completed or you have on your plate for 2020?
0: Big, one of the big things for 2020 is uh, AWS or um, Extractive Service Cloud work. Okay. Higher Ed's been a little slower to adopt than some other areas. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly some use, some of it in use now, but it's really starting to ramp up and and really getting our tools and our skills within the team ramped up to address that. And the processes around, you know, when do we decide whether whether it goes on prem or, or into a W S. Right. Like AWS right. And, uh, and who pays for it. <laughs> I usually don't have to worry about the who pays for it part of it, which is nice, but I do have to worry about the security side of, yeah. what, sort of yeah, what sort of data is going to be what sort of data Large university of all sorts of different types of data, and mm-hmm. so that's a big thing is understanding what what data we have there and data inventory, data classification. Yeah. And we do have a data governance process. It's still um, relatively young, but it's been uh, really great to bring the kind of business owners of the data into these discussions about whether it's anything from um, data classification to uh, the risk-based decisions about how we use data, especially not just putting in the cloud, but we use SaaS applications or other third parties. Mm-hmm you know, what types of discussions do we need to have before data is provided to a third party to do service for us? When I thought, thought of CU
3: data, it, my first thought was student data, right, student personal information, but you've helped me think of it in terms of, well, it could be researchers' data or it could be faculty data, right, or uh, any other number of data that's collected could be personal information, sure, but it could also be weather, or it could be
0: market yeah. research, or it could be any number of things. Yeah, there's a lot of different types of data sets, and within, especially in the research space, it could be all over the place. It could be very, very public information. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be just literally analyzing public data sets. Too. It could be some very confidential stuff, whether it's about um, people. you know, There's research, human subjects research that mm-hmm. goes on. Or whether it's about, you know, there's some contractual agreement with, you know, the granting agency or something that says you need to protect this data in this Mm -hmm. way in order to receive your funds. Or maybe a
3: commercial partnership too. If if there's someone trying to commercialize a product and they've signed an
0: agreement. Yeah, there's certainly, yeah, that type of stuff going on. There's a lot of, Mm um, CCUs, there's lots of partnerships with national labs and other, you know, aerospace folks in the area, all sorts of people.
3: Yeah, yeah well do you have any advice for those that are more junior in their careers and are just getting started in information
0: security it's um i mean it's an exciting field and i've talked with a lot of folks who are are new into it and i think largely about the hiring process and the recruiting process and Mm -hmm. what that's like uh, which is a whole different thing (laughs) to talk about but uh i think you know getting the exposure to try to figure out what you want to you know, what areas you want to work on, what do you enjoy doing?
4: Mm-hmm. I
0: think asking other people for feedback about, I think sometimes we don't realize ourselves which things we're enjoying and not enjoying. We can ask our peers or our supervisors. Sure. About like, you know, they could have some good observation about, you get really excited when I talk about this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that, unfortunately, I think sometimes people sell the information security job as being hyper-focused when it isn't always. You know, if you want to do just you know, malware reverse analysis or something like that. is a very small set of companies you can work for to be that focused. Okay, right, that's very niche. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think being open to the idea of, you know, do you want to have a hyper-focused job? And if so, which companies is that available from? Mm-hmm. Do you want to have a, a broader job? you know, Which types of companies? So starting an idea of what you want to do will help you align to where should you be looking for jobs because certain companies may not have the type of job that you want right. even.
3: Right. If you want to specialize yeah. and be really good at one thing or two things, yeah. you need to consider the market for that. Yeah,
0: and there could be some good ones, but you get
3: really narrow, and you know, you're going to be looking for a very, very specific opportunity.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> and then maybe you can freelance with that, or maybe yeah. you're
0: stuck working for the the one person in town who who does <laughs> yeah. that job and does it really, really well. Uh, it's, but I think. I'm big uh, on having a broad view of things and getting a broad understanding of technology in the business. Sure. Um, so I think um, it's great to get some technical depth in an area, but understanding where your opportunities are to apply it mm-hmm. and how to take best advantage of your skill set requires a, a broader understanding of, oh, I can help you and this other IT team out. I know how to do this one thing. Now I understand how it applies to the work you do and how it applies to this other team over here. And I can maybe make more opportunities for myself or be a better partner if I understand how, how my it skill set fits <laughs> in yeah. with everyone else. How it all fits together. Yeah.
3: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Lately, I've been thinking of uh, in terms of if, if someone says, I want to get in information security, that's kind of like saying, I want to get into medicine. Yeah. Or, I want to be a doctor. You know, there's so many different specializations mm-hmm. and nobody's a good match for all of them. Yeah. You kind of have to feel out what you're good at,
0: where you gravitate towards, mm-hmm. what gets you excited. And finding that. people you can talk to who are in spaces you're interested in too, and mm-hmm. finding out, talking about what, what's your daily life like, right. doing that. And try to imagine yourself doing that. Yeah. Denver area is great for having lots of, you know, lots of information, security stuff going on, and lots of community events and mm-hmm. stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think it's good to get out there and go to some of those and meet some folks in the field. Where do you think the industry as a whole is heading? You know,
3: we talked a little bit about tool sets, and it seems like um, there's plenty of folks out there trying to sell technical solutions. And uh, do you think that's where the where we're headed? Are we gonna see a backlash? Are people gonna stop buying from companies that have breaches
0: any, any well, thoughts I in thoughts I think the track record has shown that breaches don't actually affect business all that much. It's <laughs> a <whole> separate discussion, <laughs> but I think there's pretty good data to support that. Um, And then no one's going to stop selling stuff. I I used to track um, my unsubscribes from companies over the course of five years and subscribed from uh, sales emails from 1100 different companies. (laughs) There are a lot of companies in our space and Uh, a lot of of those don't exist anymore. (laughs) But I was shocked how many companies there are in the security space. Uh, It's still a young field in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's still changing a lot. Uh, The Getting to the point where we are, um, I don't know how far we'll get in terms of people are following really similar standards or or approaches. We've talked for it feels like decades now about software development becoming more of a a discipline that has more security, but it's slowly evolved, but Mm -hmm. it's been going a lot more slowly than I expected. I mean, I was in a conference 13 years ago or so and this is over Oracle was saying that you know, she felt that software development should get to a point where it's like architecture, like building architecture. Right. You have to get certified. Your designs are vetted. The construction mm-hmm. itself is vetted. Well, to was, make sure
3: that the bridge doesn't fall down yeah. once you build it. That was 13 years ago. We still <laughs> quite haven't gotten there yet. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, and part of that might be the demand you know the market demand for yeah. uh, we need this now you know oh, we can deal with bugs mm-hmm. whereas there's mm-hmm. less tolerance in the real world for buildings that fall
0: apart yeah. and, and hurt people yeah and you can't I mean I was talk about agile and, and DevOps type works mm-hmm. you know you can't build a building in an agile fashion we can't there's no MVP of the building <laughs> that like there's enough that I can move into this side while you're still building the rest of the building around me <laughs> doesn't quite apply the same <laughs> way. Yeah, the, the analogy doesn't work. <laughs> um, but it does give us some opportunity. I think the, uh, that shift into the how software applications are delivered into you're always living on a dynamic application. It's mm-hmm. always evolving in some ways, and there's certainly challenges in the security space on it, but it also gives us the potential to fix those more rapidly than the, well, we got this, you know, ancient system that's you know, it's a multi-month process to do a software update on uh-huh. it, and there's <laughs> resistance to it. Like you have no choice. It's like tomorrow it's being
3: updated for you. <laughs> yeah, as as more things become SaaS, and yeah. more things become cloud. That that's most yeah. likely the
0: model, and or the apps on the phones. So it's not SaaS. But the delivery is the same way. It's mm. getting updated. You're not even thinking about it. Right. Right? It's getting updated automatically behind for the you. scenes. Yeah. So that has the potential to at least get security fixes out faster, Mm -hmm. whether it generated more problems at the same time, (laughs) I haven't done the math on that. (laughs) Sure, sure. There's pros and cons to that approach. Yeah, sometimes you wonder whether it's like that Simpsons episode where Homer in charge of safety and they talk about how the safety record got better by the same number of accidents they thought he caused.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, shifting the problem. Okay. Uh, Any career goals, you know, when you look three, five, ten years down the road, is there uh, anything you want to do or take on or learn?
0: Uh, know, I don't have anything I'd say that's super specific. I've been enjoying getting more into that intersection of the business side of the house and the technology side of the house. Mm -hmm. You know, how we articulate the value of what we do to the business side of the house is very particular interest to me in the last couple of years. So I, I really like being able to spend some time on that interface mm. um, and being able to interact with both sides has, has been really interesting. Um, so I guess I'm, I've been a little further, a little more detached from the the hardcore
3: tech than I <laughs> used to be. But. Well, it's almost like being bilingual. You know, if you're going to be hands on keyboard, looking mm-hmm. for indicators of compromise or tracking down some IP address, that's certainly a different skill set than yeah. building a roadmap and uh, selling your budget to yeah. executives and it's uh, definitely not necessarily the same person can do all yeah. those roles.
0: Yeah. yeah, I've told people a lot that, um, we a you know, lot of people talk about how you get budget for information security and mm-hmm. in some ways it's the same thing you get budget for anything, which is that um, people who, who get budget for things are the people who prove that they did well with the last money you gave them. Okay. And if you're not good at articulating the value you delivered with the last money you got, no one's going to give you more money. They want why to should that. they? Yeah. <laughs> they want to see how, how the value was provided. Yeah. through. The but if you say the last about. money I got or the current budget I have, here's all the awesomeness that mm-hmm. comes from that money. And I have ex- you know reached the limit of awesomeness I can do with the money I have. Here's my proposal for the next level of awesomeness, sure. the next <laughs> of money and come back and demonstrate that you achieved something with that mm-hmm. money. Um, you know, no one wants to give money to a black hole of I gave you money and I don't know what happened with it. Sure, sure. So transparency, communication, yeah. and and being able to do that bilingual in the business terms mm-hmm. of how did we not just what did you do with it? I bought hardware, I bought software, I bought a new staff line, whatever. So what did that mean for us? Right. You know, what improved? Right. What got better?
3: Right. And that's a great way to build trust too. Yeah. And not. Uh, not be the IT person who takes the money and then goes in the server room and to buy more blinky lights, yeah. but actually talk in terms of business value. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, is there anything we didn't cover
0: that you want to be sure to mention? Um, I don't think so. This has been a great, it's good talking with you. I think we covered some good ground There's um I look forward to listening to all of the
3: ones you're recording. <laughs> all right, well, thanks so much, Brad. Appreciate thank your time. Have a good afternoon. Well,
0: Thank you, John.